0: Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. On our program, we've talked quite a bit in the past about leadership development, and many of you who have listened in um, know that this is an area I feel really passionate about. Um, I've worked in operations for many, many years, and having strong leadership is important, but what's, what's more important Is ensuring that you're aligned with a good physician leader. So, an administrative leader combined with a physician leader, that dyad structure, in my mind, and and from what we've seen from, from looking at high performing organizations, is really critical to the success. Well, I'm really pleased today to have a colleague of mine join our conversation. Um, Jason Ray Bird is an executive administrator at the University of Chicago Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Science Department. Jason has had 20 years of healthcare operations experience, finance strategy experience, both on the community hospital or healthcare side and now on the academic side. Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it. So, Jason, when you when you work in um, leadership and in, in operations, the community aspect of healthcare, working with a hospital or a medical group is definitely different than working in an academic operational structure. Um, how's that transition been for you as you've went from working at, uh, you know, that community hospital, so to speak, and managing operations now with the University of Chicago? Sure. So, the The transition is, is different
1: no matter where you go. So even different community organizations I've worked at have had a little bit of different nuance. I think the different part about the academic institution for me is the tripartite mission. You have um, the focus on education, the focus on research, the focus on uh, the clinical enterprise, the ambulatory operations and the hospital. So whereas when you work in the community-based settings, you're really more focused on just the clinic operations. There, there may be some clinical trials here and there if you're on oncology mm-hmm. or neurosciences for MS and oncology right. for cancer research. But generally speaking, that, that's the big difference is you have one institution that's really focusing on health outcomes as far as the in-person visits, the televideo visits. Right. And the academic mission, you have, again, the tripart mission. So I think you know, adding that, into the mix for me was a little bit different.
0: Oh well, yeah, say- sure, and, and even the the economics around that are, are different. So when you're in a community leadership role, um, you know it's all about productivity. It's all about the revenue. It's all about maximizing your collections. On the academic side, as you said, it's it's a three part mission, right? But the clinical operations are really what drive the revenue. However, you've got to manage your research and your programs. You have to manage education if if that's part of the the full the full mission um, so you know when when you're working through that, have you found that your clinical your community experience has it really helped you in, in kind of driving some of the the clinical operations the the clinical revenue activity within the academic setting? I think so I think so the The team that I'm working with right now.
1: I think we recognize both our particular expertise as far as what I had done prior, what they were doing currently, what they had done prior, and what I could bring to the table to help. Because sure. whenever you go into a situation where you're in a new position, and this is much more of a higher leadership position than I had before, you have to learn what's going on. What's the new environment you're in and, and how oh, yeah. does work? How do things tick? Once you get past that stage, and, and while you're on that stage, I think it's really important, you, you gain trust, hopefully. I mean, if you do it right, you gain trust with the folks you're working with, whether it's in the university side or if it's an ambulatory operation side. Um, that said, I think there was a way that I could look at maximizing efficiency, whether it was something as simple as exam room allocation, or template optimization. So looking at physician schedules.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What could we do to improve patient access? Right. How are we having an issue with cycle time in the clinic? Is that the issue? Is it an issue with our EMR system? Maybe there's not the right templates, or is it more of, we just need to review the template as a whole because there's just not enough access because appointments are too yeah. long. You know, that's just. Oh, you probably
0: lived that world. I mean, that was your world in the community space. So bringing that over to the academic environment, boy, I, I think that's such a huge value add uh, to really drive a lot of the performance. So I, I can see how, how that would really be beneficial for you and your role. Talk a little bit about how you developed your. Diet partnerships over the years. You know, it, it it sounds like to me when you were in the community setting, aligning with your medical director was key, and you know that that was a big element of success. Um, obviously, within your current role, it's going to be equally important. Talk a little bit about what what's what what that roadmap has looked like for you.
1: Sure, and and I should preface by saying that. In many, if not all the institutions I've worked at over these 20 years, currently right now and prior, I feel that when it comes to physician leaders that I've worked with, whether it's been a medical director of a facility or, or a location, or it's been a chair or even a chief medical officer of an ambulatory enterprise, I've worked with some great
0: people. I've, I've been fortunate in that way. Um, but I would say that, that helps so much, right? So when future, you're at the same page... And you and everybody kind of, you know, both the physician leader and the administrative leader kind of know their roles and work together. You know, and in, in in my experience, you get the one plus one equals three factor. You're just so much more productive and it's so much more fun. It it is, it is. And I think if there is a
1: mutual respect, if there's a shared culture. I think if there is a appreciation for each role and what they do and what they bring to the table, and I think it's important to define the roles too, sure. because sometimes certain relationships start because one of those positions is vacant and then the other person is covering. So you have a physician leader doing a little bit more of the business, or maybe you have you know the executive administrator or, or, or operations director or whatever that position is covering a little bit more on the clinical side or leading out on some of the clinical meetings, I think it's important that there's there's a distinction, but a mutual respect. But there has to be a shared culture, a shared vision, a shared what. What does this look like? First, I mean, looking at you know, what are we trying to do here? What what's the end goal? You know, are we trying to expand to multiple clinic uh, locations in our m- market? We trying to go beyond that are we trying to grow our research portfolio our development portfolio for fundraising I mean, depending you know where we're talking about community-based setting or we're talking about a setting in an academic right. institution you have to have clear goals you have to be organized but you both have to be on the same page but yeah. just you know unlike politics maybe in washington dc or in springfield or wherever you're talking about there has to be compromise too so, you cannot go into these meetings or these discussions or one on ones with your physician leader expecting you 're going to get everything you want just as the same as they won't either, and that 's where the prioritization happens sure. but it 's rooted in the trust, the shared culture of the mutual respect if you don 't have that it 's like a house you have no foundation, and you can 't really go anywhere and It becomes a very uncomfortable relationship, and it usually dissolves in one way, shape, or form at some point yeah.
0: well and and you know to your point. As you start to align around those common goals, as you as you both align around um, what you want to achieve, the physician leader is critical in driving that communication and the change with their physicians, and in this case, their faculty, right? So, although you know, I'm sure you have probably a pretty good relationship with the faculty. They report directly up to your chair, so being able to have that communication mechanism, that mutual respect, both with the vice chair or with the with the chairman, and then with the corresponding faculty, that's how you really drive a lot of improvement, right? You drive a lot of change. So I think that's critical. Um, talk a little bit about culture, though. You know, you brought this up earlier. Um, is that as we talked about in the program here and. In our own consulting work, we are very cognizant of the culture and culture has to evolve over time. You know, as they've said, time and time again, you can have the best strategy in the world, a culture eats strategy every day of the week. Um, how have you or what have you done to help to kind of uh, advance the culture into either you know, a high performing organization or just making it more exciting for the faculty, for your team to, to achieve some of your goals. Sure. I, you know, I I think again, and, and I, and I may mention this a few
1: times during our conversation today, but you have to have that foundation first. You have to have, not just the mutual respect, but the trust. And okay, so you ask yourself, okay, how, how do you build that? You're walking into a new situation or maybe you're in an existing organization and you moved into a different position with people you've never worked with. And a lot of healthcare organizations and universities are large. So it's it's moving from one place to another could be like a completely different experience. You have to appreciate and understand what everyone's doing. Yeah. Now you in the back of your mind may say, okay, we're doing a lot of redundant work or there's some loss deficient, sure. no one wants a leader to come in and just say, everything's wrong, start over. And Mm -hmm. and there may be a ton of things that are right. right. So I think we have to recognize what's working, celebrate the wins, if you will, focus on the positives. There's nothing worse than walking into work and working with a leader that is just negative all the time. I've worked in organizations where the person near or at the top is just solely focused on the negatives. And there's no joy, there's no happiness. And I guarantee you in those organizations, your turnover rate is probably 20, 30, 40%. You know, in my career, I can pride myself on, generally speaking, my turnover has been under 2% with the folks that I've worked with. And I would say about half of that is people that got promoted either in the organization or outside the organization. And you do that by listening, having the mutual respect, I think it's important when you listen to understand the current state of what's going on, the relationships beyond what you see, because when people start to trust you, they tell you all kinds of stories of how a physician or a member of the staff or, or or maybe a member of the organization outside your department is treating people or not treating them well. Yeah. You know, whatever it could be good, could be bad, um, and I and I think you know recognizing the wins, listening. And then working together on a mutually agreeable plan. Yes, you may be at the top of the department or one of the top people in the department right. or the medical group, depending on your setting. But at the end of the day, you have to include others. They may have solutions that can really fix.
0: Well, it needs to be a team approach, approach, right? I mean, yes, you have to incorporate that in.
1: I mean, when when I was part of a three different organizations in a 10-year span, probably, you know, in the early 2010s when paper charts were moving to EMR, oh, yes. I mean, that was a very critical time that was shifting the way medicine was documented across the entire country. And, and I think if you don't listen to the concerns that people have about templates or how an EMR is working, I mean, you could, a, a clinic could come to a screeching halt. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it could totally implode. If you're just tuning in, I'm Daniel Marino and you're listening to Value Based Care Insights. I'm here with Jason Raybard and we are talking about creating a high performing diet partnership within an academic service line. Fascinating discussion. So Jason, one point that I want to, I want to touch on, um, you know, and, and, and you mentioned this a little bit and I think it's worth kind of exploring. The economics within a clinical service line obviously are are, are different than slightly different than in a community setting. You know, you've got clinic operations, and you know, the the department generates a lot of revenue from clinic operations. Um, And then you've got research, and and then you've got the educational component, that sort of thing. Um, Being within the academic area where you're looking at the department, How are you aligning or working with your partner, your your physician uh, chair, if you will, how are you aligning the goals of the hospital and the clinic operation with the goals of the medical school or the academic mission? So I I think it's a a fine balance. It's it's
1: a bit more of, I would say, a balancing act or a tightrope than, say, when i was just solely focused on clinic operations only and that has its own web of different goals and 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 politics and issues in and of itself so i don't mean to, to disregard it this is my first real true endeavor into the tripart mission so the balancing act i mean i think it's it's again you're 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 Going to need to figure out where you want to allocate your resources. You're you're, you may have goals in your mind, but ultimately those goals will turn into a strategy that says we're going to spend X or Y in some certain area. I think in the academic institutions, I think one thing that no matter what that there needs to be a focus on that you really don't have in the community-based settings is your development, your uh, fundraising. That's important, and and I think I did not fully realize this until I, I came to my current institution. And, and the chair that I work with now is, is excellent at this aspect of, of the tripart mission. It supports, can support clinic operations, generally supports research, clinical trials and education, creating sound endowment plans, uh, creating uh, gift yeah. accounts, research accounts, that is external funding. And it can be from from grants from the government, it can sure. be from grants from private institutions, it can be from just people that we may have treated in clinic that had a very successful outcome. Of course, in ophthalmology, when, when you're having vision issues and they get cured, it's an instant gratification of I can see now. So foundational work, it, it may be a bit easier than some of the other chronic illnesses that we see. So I think that's a critical piece to it, too. Now, your clinic operations has to provide funding, of course. You have oh, to yeah, it provides a lot of funding. I mean, it often, does.
0: you look at the economics, that clinical operations funds a big part of, of any type of a department or a section within the academic setting. It
1: does. So if you're on the academic side and you're working with your hospital partners, your ambulatory partners, you know, when you propose a strategy of adding a new physician or adding a new location... You have to show its value, not just value in the dollars and cents, but downstream revenue opportunities, okay. partnership opportunities, and then how it's going to benefit the community. You know, one of the things that I brought with, you know, currently was, was developing a dashboard for certain eye diseases. So we could track clinically healthcare outcomes and prove value beyond even just dollars and cents, because we all know HEDIS measures is something that insurance companies have, are, are, they're important insurance companies. And it's important that a patient have an office visit with any practitioner and have a good health care yeah. outcome. But balancing the three, you know, you, you really have got to maximize the time your clinicians, your practitioners, your physicians are working within the clinic. Because unlike in community-based settings, there's a set amount of percentage of time that they're dedicated to provide training for the residents, training for the yeah. medical students. The There is, and that is time that they would normally be in the clinic if they were working in ABC Healthcare Community Clinic down in, you know, Johnstown or something like that. Now now they're, you know, 60, 70, 80% of their time, as opposed to maybe 99% of their time is in the clinic. The rest of that is supporting other of our tripartite missions. Other of your activities. Yeah, exactly. But I think if you have, you know, a sound foundation as far as what you're trying to do, and you have defined, whether it's pro formas, development plans, a clear understanding of what grants you can get, because it's very easy to develop a, a, a budget and say, we're going to get all this grant money when there's so much competition for public and private oh, grant money. And the so dollars are,
0: are limited. I mean, there's only so much that are out there. And, I, and I'll tell you, so um, years ago, I had an opportunity to... Uh, to work as an interim executive director of a clinical service line, large internal medicine group that was at an academic facility down in in Texas. And what you described um, was really what I had just thrown into this role and and what I had learned. And I found it fascinating, fascinating to balance both the, the goals and the objective culture and politics of the hospital and the clinic operations with the goals, the objectives, the, you know, the, the, the culture, the politics of the medical school of the academic arena. And what I quickly learned was my success was really predicated on communicating to those, the objectives of both of those areas in a way that you can really bring it together and drive the results. And And I think that is so important for the faculty to understand, right? And that's where I think the partnership becomes really valuable because if you've got a chair that can can communicate that vision and then you have a strong administrative support person that can activate that combined vision, boy, that's, I mean, that's what's going to drive the success. And it sounds like that's a lot of the role that you're playing. It is, it is.
1: And I think, you know, in my role, it can be as simple as Going down to the clinic and trying to help out with maybe a phone's not working and and trying to escalate something very mundane, very simple, but very important. Or it can be, you know, working with your executive director of finance and trying to uh, tastefully persuade the reason why we need said position to be opened, you know, whether we're in a recruitment window or, you know, whether, you know, there's a certain regulatory reason for our education program that we have to provide this, or it is here, this is actually a positive clinical funding position that will near instantaneously be able to fund itself in other programs and then some, because in academic institutions, because you're a teaching institution, you have to provide certain services so that your medical students and your residents yeah, and fellows right. can train. Exactly. On, on, and there's yeah. a certain number of procedures and yeah. disease states they have to see in, in their their rotations. And you may have a subspecialty that is not as profitable or may work at a loss. So you have to figure out how to offset that so that you can still fund the clinic profitably. You can still yeah. fund the research program, but still provide the education that you need for your students. Because those—that's the future of medicine. Those people that you're training in sure. clinic,
0: and it's well, important. You bring up get a good them. point. If given where the where healthcare is going, and resources continue to be a challenge, um, both cap, human capital resources and financial resources, and then. When you think about the pressures to um to kind of drive that, that clinical revenue, um, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, it is it's really tough to get everybody aligned. When you think back about your role and you think about, you know, where healthcare is going, what's been, you know, the top challenges that that you see that, you know, that has been unique for you and your role and for the department and things that you're really trying to work towards? Sure. I, I mean there's if we want
1: to talk more of, you know, on a macro level, I, I think just what I've noticed, especially going back 10 years even, you know, we we we've had a whole large generation of baby boomers that continue to retire in droves, thousands and thousands yeah. a day. Many of those were in the healthcare world. Many of them were physicians, APNs, nurses, et cetera, frontline staff workers. And I think as a country, we have not opened up enough slots for, you know, and that's something that really is triggered by the federal government to provide more residents because there, there is a need. And, and I think one of the things too, if we just like kind of look at it really macro level, the way that we treat patients, I had a very insightful medical director kind of review this with me a few years back. The way we treat people medically today is extremely different than we did 40 years ago with preventative care plus there are more venues and avenues to treat them in non-traditional health system settings so there's a demand for labor to be able to meet the consumer demand but there's an actual quality demand too that we may have not had and it was something when he told me that I was kind of it was kind of eye-opening because I hadn't looked at it that way and he was That's like you know, this was maybe a decade ago I can't remember and he said you will see by the 30s Right. If not sooner, you will have a shortage of not just frontline staff, but you will have a shortage of physicians and, and and advanced practice providers. And we sure have it. And this was maybe in 2011. I think I had the conversation with him.
0: Well, pretty and, insightful, given given that you know the he was able to kind of see the access challenges and pan spot on. And you know, obviously, access is an issue for all of us, but in the academic arena, I think it's even a little bit worse because. You know, you have complex, you have patients with complex situations that frankly need that, they need the service of the academic faculty provider to really drive a lot of the change. Well, well Jason, you know, this, this has been great. I I really I, I appreciate your time. I think you know you've you've shared some um some interesting insights, certainly as it relates to leadership in, in the academic arena. Um you know, for any of our listeners, especially those that are within academics or maybe within the community setting who are interested in getting academics, any pieces of advice you might share?
1: You know, as, as far as that goes, I think the most important thing you can do in whatever position you're in is to ensure that you listen. Active listening. You know, I've I've trained uh, as a high reliability trainer in a prior lifetime. As part of my job, I'm certified in that area. And whether we're talking about clinic outcomes or just general management of any team, whether it's three people or 100, generally listening to your people, being thoughtful in your rounding being genuine in your approach. Yeah. I think is important. Um, you know, if folks had additional questions and wanted to reach out to me, best way they can reach out to me is finding me on LinkedIn. Um they can send me a message and I'd be happy to help. You know, I, I love networking and chatting shop.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well I'm so glad that you've done that. And you know, again, you can find Jason Raybird on on LinkedIn. Well Jason, I want to thank you for coming on the program today. This was Great conversation. You've clearly done very well in your role. And I wish you a tremendous amount of success going forward.
1: Thank you, Dan. I appreciate your time. And I wish you the best of luck as well with your consulting
0: work. Thank you. Well, I want to thank everyone today for listening, for for tuning in. Until the next Insight, I am Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care.